Hello and welcome to another episode of Husky Talk. Our guest today was the 2008 Iditarod teacher on the trail. The last frontier captured her as soon as she stood in the village of Nikolai, where she decided that one day she would teach in rural Alaska. She taught in Togiak, Alaska for two years. She le- recently began working for the Iditarod as the Director of Education. Please welcome to the show, Jane Hall. Hi, Jane, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. With this being the 50th anniversary of the Iditarod, we are going to start the show off of a little Iditarod trivia. We have five questions for you. Are you ready? Oh, man. Okay. Sure. Joe, sure. message to the office, please. Joe, message to the office. Who founded the Did Run? I'm sorry, I had trouble hearing you. Could you repeat the question? Who founded the Did Run? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, Joe Reddington Sr. and Dorothy Page. Good job. Second Thank question. You. Who won the very first Did Run? Oh, I know this one. <laughs> Dick Wilmar. <laughs> Good job. Third question. Who was the first female Iditarod champion? Um, I know this one too. It would be Libby Riddles. Very good. Fourth question. What was the closest finish? Dick? (laughs) I know it. Don't worry. It was between Dick Mackey and Rick Clemson, (laughs) and it was was a one-second win by the nose of Dick Mackey's. Dog. Correct. Fifth question. Who is the oldest person to ever finish their Dira? I think I know this one, but if I don't, I'm still passing four out of five. I think the oldest person was Norman Vaughn, and I know he was in his 80s, but I can't tell you exactly how old he was. Very good. You got five out of five correct. Yeah, I got an A. Uh, teachers like to get A's too, you know. <laughs> he was 84. Thank you. I don't remember that. (laughs) Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, My name is Jane Holmes, and I'm currently the Director of Education for the Iditarod Trail London Race. I live in Eagle River, Alaska, where I also do some substitute teaching at a former school that I was full-time before. Um, I... Um, have taught in Bush, Alaska, and I am a past teacher on the trail from 2008. And I have two cats and no dogs. How's that for a start? Good. Um, can you okay. can you tell us one of the things we talked about in our introduction, and that you mentioned is that you were the I did arrive on the teacher on the trail. Can you tell our listeners what the teacher on the trail program is? Sure. In fact, we just had the deadline for applications for the next teacher on the trail, which will be 2023. So um, this started over 20 years ago when a teacher realized, her name was Finney, we call her Finney, she realized how exciting and interesting and how very rich with um, curriculum that the Iditarod race is, meaning it has 
lots of applications for teachers to be able to use to teach reading or art or math or science. And it's very exciting and very interesting to students. So that started the Teacher on the Trail program where each year one teacher from all over the world, depending on where they're from, could be anywhere, after an application and interview process is selected to be the ambassador for the Iditarod and to be, um, to write lessons and to do presentations and to be a speaker and the face of the Iditarod for teachers and students as far as they can reach them, whether it's on the internet or in person. Um, and then the kind of the almost ending of their year. So they do that for an um, entire school year before their, their race year. And then on their race year, they come up for about a month to Alaska, spending time going to schools around Alaska and also participating in the junior Iditarod race as well as traveling along the Iditarod Trail race route, not only just getting the, you know, in-person, hands-on experience for them to be better at using the Iditarod, but sharing that with teachers and students during the race. And then they have a wrap up their school year, and um, many of those teachers are still involved with Iditarod and working on lessons and curriculum and they stay with it for a long, long time. Can you tell us a little about what it was like for you being the teacher on the trail? Yeah, sure. I was teaching in Phoenix, Arizona. That's when I first learned about the Iditarod. And as you can imagine, living in a hot, dry desert where it regularly is over 100 degrees, I thought this topic would be particularly fascinating for our desert dweller students and such. So I, I found a really old book, it's out of publication now, and I started learning about it and just got super excited and went through the whole application and then the process, which was amazing, but the hardest thing I've ever done in my career. And when I was selected, I, uh, I, um, I spent a lot of time writing lessons and doing presentations in the lower 48, but the most impactful part of that experience for me, as it might be for many other past teachers on the trail, was my experience in Alaska. I had an amazing experience in getting to meet, you know, like I don't know if you all have sports teams you follow or or favorite authors, or you can imagine someone that you would just really, really love to meet. And there you are all of a sudden standing in front of whomever it is. And I'm not even going to put names out there because I'm so old. I probably don't know who your current interests in music and sports are. But I used to tell my students, it's like going into the locker room of your favorite NBA basketball team. Like, I am standing here amongst these mushers that I, I wouldn't say idolize, but I admire for their, for doing what they do that I could never do. It was just like Christmas every minute. And seeing these places that no one gets to go to, I mean, you can, you can kind of just fly a plane out into the middle of Alaska, but you cannot get to all the places these mushers go. 
I mean, it was just an amazing opportunity. And in my first native village checkpoint, which is Nikolai, down the trail a little bit, stood there in the middle of this tiny village. And at the time, there were only 70 people living there. And I thought to myself, I'm going to teach in the village in Alaska someday. Now, this was 2008, okay? Fast forward to 2015, and I was at a time where I had choices of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do in my life. And I went on online and applied for a job in Bush, Alaska, and within 24 hours, I was hired to go teach uh, in a village on Bristol Bay, salmon capital fishing of the world. And I've been there ever since. So I might be a little bit of an extreme uh, result or consequence of teacher on the trail, but it, uh, it definitely impacted my life. And now, also fortunately, I get to help uh, actually work for the organization and help perpetuate the education program and help other teachers on the trail as well. How have thing cha things changed over the years for teachers on the trail? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, well, let's see here. So way, the very first teacher on the trail had to do everything for herself. There was nothing set in place for, for Fanny. She had to figure out what to wear, how to get there, where she was going. I mean, she was the true definition of a trailblazer. She had stories about being dropped off in an airplane and, and having to you know, schlep her stuff up over a hill to find the nearest village. So that was the beginning of it. But then, and I can only speak, you know, based on stories I've heard other teachers tell me and what I know from when I was teaching on the trail. But, you know, technology has changed. So the access to the Internet, you would think, well, it's easier and better. But it can be, but when you're out in the middle of Alaska, service can be unreliable. But for the most part, the internet's better. Well, the teachers on the trail don't have to carry satellite phones anymore. Um, also, I think the teacher on the trail is a little bit more um, planned. I mean, you can't really plan where you're going to go and what you're going to do because of weather and resources, but there are definitely places on the trail that we like to make sure our teacher gets to, especially villages with schools, you know, for example. Um, gear has changed for everyone, mushers included, but the gear that the teachers uh, are recommended to wear and to use. Um, you know, the past teachers would have to use things like typewriters <laughs> and less <laughs> electronics, whereas now teachers are using, hey, for example, Ms. Montgomery has introduced the education department to TikTok, and yep. you know, we have a TikTok account now, and Instagram, and so I think we're keeping up with the times in that way. You've probably met many mushers. You specifically mentioned that you met Rick Swenson when you were a teacher on the trail. What can you tell us about meeting these mushers? Gosh, you guys have done some research, I think. Um, people often say, oh, who's your favorite musher? And before I got involved with Teacher on the Trail, I probably had some mushers that I followed. But really, now that I know them better, I don't. Now that I know mushers better, I'm not sure I picked people based on the right criteria. But 
after coming up to Alaska, being a finalist and meeting mushers, my answer is always any musher who enters the Iditarod has my respect and admiration because all of them are doing something I could never do. I've seen it firsthand, and, I, and as much as I might want to try it, I know I could never do it. Um, another thing about mushers is some, you know, they're very much dog people. Their lives are dogs. Many of them, dogs are their only kids, or they have kids, and dogs are just another one of their kids. My point is, some mushers don't have a, a really um, outgoing, bubbly personality, you know, where they like to speak in front of cameras or they like to give interviews. Some of them are very super quiet and very much, you know, loners or they like to live off the grid and, and not interact with people. So I think sometimes some mushers are misunderstood just because their personalities might not they make them seem like they're not interested in talking to other people, but I try to encourage folks to think about their lifestyle and why that might be. So some mushers, of course, are the face of whatever they're into, into and they're great spokespeople, and, and some are a little bit quieter. Um, I, I think that I was just telling someone this the other day, it's really not a gender-specific sport for success, meaning being a male or a man doesn't set you up to be more successful than a woman. And um, it's almost, uh, you know, completely equal in that field because it, the dogs are the athletes. But I will say, too, that some women tend to be smaller than men, and so while the skill of mushing a sled doesn't matter by gender. Some of the physical demands might be harder on some some women or, or even some smaller men, I guess. The most successful mushrooms that I, in my opinion, are the ones that are also very physically strong themselves. They Look at the um, the Barrington twins, for example. Now they they are ultra runners, as is Miss Montgomery, right? They run, all, you know, as many or as many miles as a human compared to a dog, a sled dog should. They they understand the physical, the physical conditioning that's necessary. So, um, yeah, those are just some of my observations. This is probably a tough question, but what was your favorite and most memorable thing about being a teacher on the trail? <sighs> okay. There are a bunch, but here's a story I don't tell very often. Um, I was in Nome, and I, uh, my, my year as teacher on the trail, I was in the airplane that the official photographer, Jeff Schultz, was being carried down the trail in. Mm -hmm. And so just off the bat, that got me to a lot of checkpoints because out of necessity, he needed to be everywhere to take pictures. And that was a very unique and special experience for sure. And also, in Nome ended up uh, providing me another special experience. When people show up in Nome, they have to have a place to stay. Mushers have to have a place arranged ahead of time. I did a lot of staff. Everyone has to have a place to stay. Um, you can't just show up in Nome with the race 
I'm talking specifically related to the race, without a place to stay. Nome is not a very big place, as you might imagine. And in order, and the mushers have to have housing already figured out when they, before they even, you know, can apply to be in the race. So, longer story short, I, uh, Jeff Schultz has been photographing the race for decades, and he had connections with people where he stayed in their house. I was just another volunteer sleeping on the church floor, which is super fun, by the way. But at this house also, Martin Boozer and Dee Dee John wrote stay at the end of their race. So I was invited to have dinner at this house in Nome with these folks and Martin Boozer and Dee Dee Jonro and Jeff Schultz at the end of their race that year. And I couldn't have been more thrilled. I was pretty much speechless. And I just sat there and listened to fresh off the trail stories from those amazing mushers. Uh, that's a pretty special experience for sure. You are currently serving as the Iditarod Education Director. Can you tell us, can you talk to us about what the, all this involves? Yes. First of all, that is a pretty fancy title, and all I get to do is coordinate and collaborate all these other teachers that do a ton of work. I, I was going to say something like a coach, but I'm not really a coach. I'm more of a, a manager, and I am here in Alaska, which is helpful. <clears throat> So, you know, things that I do is help collect and edit articles for the newsletter and the website. I help organize and edit and write for the race guide, as do a lot of the other teachers that help help us out. I also, um, oh, I uh, set up conferences uh, here in Anchorage. We have teachers come and to a teacher conference to learn about using the Iditarod. Also, I'm got two conferences in Idaho, well, we so I'll be going to the Lord to do conferences there, or teachers can come and learn about the race well, we and how to use the race. This past summer, I got to go to some day camps in Anchorage and do a little identified presentation to the groups at day camps. Um, we, gosh, what else do we do? We have so many products that we share with teachers. Oh, yeah, social media. Right. <clears throat> So I help monitor the social media, Facebook and Instagram, and provide material to go on those websites, or I'm sorry, to go on those platforms as well. Um, but, but mainly, like I said, I am just here to help all the teachers that write lessons and come up with these great ideas about Iberat and get the word out to the other teachers as we know this is the 50th anniversary of the Iditarod. As education director, do you have anything special planned? Well, we just having our conference back in person, this is the first time in two years that our winter conference will be as it was prior to COVID. And so that's just exciting in itself, that teachers are going to be able to travel up, stay in Anchorage, uh, we are staying at the lakefront, our, excuse me, our conference is at the lakefront, which is Iditarod headquarters during the race, so there'll be lots of exciting activity there. We've got uh, some special events in the works that I really don't have names for right now, but the whole race in general has 
special events and um, uh, race, race guide um, topics. One thing I will share with you guys is not uh, race specific or EDU specific, but you might know, I don't know what you know, but there's a group of folks called the Old Iditarod Gang. Pretty much there any musher that ran the Iditarod in its first 10 years. And the old Iditarod gang has these icons like Dick Mackey, Andrew Clinton, for example, and um, anyone that finished a random in those first 10 years. For the 50th, they have come, they have put up their own kind of reunion. And some of us from the education department have been invited to go and meet them and take pictures and interview them. And so that's a really exciting opportunity for What would be a good way for teachers to get started who want to begin using the Diderot in their classroom? All right, there. I would start with two things. Number one, they should visit our website, um, iditarod.com backslash edu, and in the search bar, if they put in something like new or start they're going to pull up some articles that are specifically written to give teachers really quick and kind of simple ideas on how they could begin using the Iditarod in their classroom. Uh, I recommend that they go to their school library and find a, a book or two that's in there to read for themselves and maybe share with their students. They can email me jane.holmes at iditarod.com and I will send them four or five activities that are really good to start with. They're easy to set up and teachers can do them without having years and years of experience with the race. Our final segment of the show is a segment we are bringing back from our first season. It is called Musher Mount Rushmore. If you had to replace the four presidents on Mount Rushmore with four faces of the Iditarod, who would they be? You can pick anyone that has anything to do with the Iditarod. Oh, all right. Here we go. And I know as soon as we end this interview, I'll probably have a totally different answer. <laughs> but first of all, well, my first suggestion would be Joe Reddington Sr., just because of his role and his hard work and persistence. And and I don't know if we could put he and Dorothy Page in kind of a, can they count as one? The founders, can they count as one? Or we'll just say they count yeah. as one. So Joe Reddington and the Dorothy Page kind of conglomerate face there. Um, I would also put, um, oh gosh, mm -hmm. I think I would put Lance Mackey because of his phenomenal accomplishments in winning back-to-back Yukon Quest and Iditarods, but he was the only musher to win four Iditarods consecutively, and that's, that's pretty amazing. I would add Libby Riddles as the first female champion of the Iditarods. Well, gosh, uh, now... Um, I would like to put maybe a generic type of Native Alaska face with the names of all of the Native Alaska mushers that have run the race. I think that would be really important, but there's way more than one. So maybe one representative Native Alaska head with a list of names. Would that be okay? Yes. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> I love that idea. <laughs> but not much more if I do that. Thank you so much for talking with us. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Bye. <laughs> oh, can I um, can I ask you? May I ask you a question? Yes. Yes. Okay. First of all, I'm not sure if I got your name. Will you tell me your name, please? I'm Juliana. I'm Eli. Juliana and Eli. Okay. Juliana and Eli. And Olivia. And Olivia. If I were to, oh, hi, Olivia and Olivia. All right. If I were to ask you. This would be really helpful to me, actually. What about the Iditarod makes you excited to learn? Either math or science or history, but can, or can you tell me something that really impressed you and really made you excited to learn? Yeah. You thought it was really um, fantastic and you wanted, you wanted to know more about it. Like you didn't even care that it meant research or fractions or or anything. You just wanted to do it because it was exciting because it was like an ad. What's some of your favorite projects or activities? Just learning about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just finding out what it's all about and what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> You find it more interesting than some of the other subjects and uh, some of the other topics in school. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was a hard fast. Yes. That, that was the, That was a big yes. Easy yes. Okay. Very cool. If you had the chance to come up and watch, well, first of all, have any of you had the chance to come to Alaska? No. Yeah. Yeah. And if you had the chance to come up and see the race and participate, would you? Yes. 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 <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Thank you for answering my questions. And you're welcome for my time. It's been my pleasure. And I spread the word about you guys as much as I can because I think you and your predecessors of the podcast and your teacher have a really unique and uh, pretty amazing thing going on here. So thank you all for doing this all the time. No problem. Special thanks to Jane Holmes for being on our show today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Also, if you have any questions, com comments, or people you would like to hear on the show, please email at us at huskytalk1 at gmail.com. If we hear from you or you leave a review, we will read it on the show. We would also like to give credit to Hobo Jim for our intro song, The Iditarod Trail. In the land of the midnight sun, they call this race The Iditarod Trail. To me, it's Reddington's Run. In my heart, it's Reddington's Run. From the city lights of Anchorage to the finish line of Nome, you never find a village that he couldn't call his home. And no matter how hard the going got, he was never afraid to run Where another man would just give it in Joe had just begun Here's to Joe and it's off we go In the land of the midnight sun mm, They call this race the Iditarod Trail To me it's Reddington's Run In my heart it's Reddington's Run Now a cold wind blows And everybody knows it'll never be the same 
Every musher cried on the night you died And every husky howled your name Here's to Joe and it's awfully cold In the land of the midnight sun They call this race the Iditarod Trail To me it's Reddington's Run In my heart it's Reddington's Run Hey, here's to Joe and it's awfully cold In the land of the midnight sun they call this race the Iditarod Trail. To me, it's Reddington's Run. May it always be Reddington's Run. 